Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, let's go to Ephesians. Now, we're going to jump around a lot tonight, um, but we're going to finish this section on um, Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 6. And it's, I'm not going to go back through all of this because we've dealt with it so much. But in verse 4 it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We've looked at this, you know, um, where we are all chosen, but not everybody is chosen. John 8, Jesus made the distinction, and it's, it was interesting listening to a lot of these speakers. Randy Caldwell, I don't know if you've ever heard him, Man, he is a, he's a, he's an old-time Pentecostal preacher. But he'll preach-teach, where he'll get to teaching and preaching at the same time. And man, the, the man has some revelation. But he was talking about, uh, and I've made this point before too, I've seen it, that Jesus was hard, Jesus was very gentle and very gracious to sinners. But when he dealt with religious people, He's downright mean. You know, when people have this, this image of, uh, well, Jesus was just, he was so loving and so, uh, yeah, with, with people who were, had real problems and had sin in their life, but for religious people that, you know, were hard on other people, oh, he, he could be vicious. And that's what in John 8, he makes the point in John 8, uh, starting in verse 42, Jesus said to them, he's talking to, uh, I think this primarily is the Pharisees, but it's a mixed group of legal, legalists. He said, um, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And it's, it's that's what this whole idea of predestination, it's not that God's predestined some people to get saved and some to not get saved. We still have free will, but you are in one family or the other. God really doesn't see anymore. He doesn't see, and under the old covenant, he saw Jew and Gentile. That was it. The whole world was divided. You're a Jew or you're a Gentile. And it was very easy to become a Jew. And, and that's where the Jews really lost out, and God rebuked them for it several times. They were supposed to be evangelistic, but they weren't. They got exclusive, especially the religionists. Well, we've got our rules, and you're not part, you're not a son of Abraham. Well, anybody could become a son of Abraham. It's what Paul taught in Romans. You just have to have faith in God, and you become a son of Abraham. You could do that Old Testament, New Testament, didn't matter. But... Now, it's, it's not Jew or Gentile. We've got the one new man. 
Paul's going to talk about that later on in Ephesians, where there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We're one. Jews become Christians. Gentiles become Christians. But there's still a whole group of non-Christians. You still, he still has two groups of people. And it's who's your father, the heavenly father or you of your father of the devil. He said, down, if you drop down to verse 47, he said, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. He said, started in verse 42, if you were of, if you, or excuse me, if God were your father, you would love me. And he ended it, you are not of God. You're of your father, the devil. So God still, and, and that's part of what Paul's saying here in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, God still looks at the human race and he sees two groups. He sees believers and unbelievers. He sees the one new man in Christ, or he sees people that have rejected Christ. Or in some cases, they haven't heard of him yet. But we, we saw this last time, we have been regenerated. We saw it in, in I think it was in um, Peter, Second Peter, that we are partakers of the divine nature. Through regeneration, we have the, it's not really a great analogy, but we have the DNA of God. We have the divine nature. But he also said, in fact, he said it there in verse 5, he predestined us to adoption. We have the nature of God, but we also have to be careful. We're not God. And that's why legalism is so, you know, um, one of the speakers, and I forget who it was, or maybe it was one of the CDs we listened to in the car, was talking about the problem with legalism is some people get so cocksure of what they know and how they're supposed to live that they think they figured out how everybody should live. And they're going to make you live by their rules. Well, that when you do that, and this is part of the reason I think God was so hard on the legalists in the New Testament or in the, the four Gospels, you make yourself out to be their God. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit's job to tell people how to live, not mine. Now, there are guidelines and a pastor or a teacher, anyone in the fivefold ministry will preach the word and give you the guidelines. But how individuals um, adapt that and adopt that for their lives, that's between you and God. And I, I've used the example um, and I don't I know some people have to have misunderstood I don't advocate drinking alcohol. I think you're an idiot in this day and age, in any, any age, because it's so addictive. But I know people that are so militant against alcohol and have no problem with gluttony, have no problem with gossip, have no problem with being bitter and backbiting, and it's because that's, you know, that just doesn't reach their radar. And to be honest with you, I've seen a lot more people wounded and damaged by gossip and bickering than I've ever seen damaged by alcohol. And alcohol abuse is rampant. I mean, it, it's a huge problem in our society. But even worse are the sins of the tongue. And it's, it's like, you know, don't, don't think that just because you don't do this that you're okay with this. It's not. That's where Jesus came in. But... Getting back to this adoption, we have been adopted in. We have the divine nature, 
But we can't be, we can't act like we're God because our sonship is derivative. We derive our the being, and, and we are called sons of God, but we're sons of God in Christ. Jesus is eternal. I have a beginning. Jesus was perfect. I'm not. <laughs> Jesus is God. I'm not. I am a son of God. And in, in one sense, Jesus is my brother. And, and I have Hebrews, I think it's in chapter 10, says boldly come before the throne of grace. I can boldly walk into heaven and walk before the Father and say, Lord, you're my Father and I don't have to be ashamed to be here. But at the same time, I, I, I need to balance that, that, um, that ability to feel like this is my home with a little bit of awe. You know, I, I've used the example when I worked for Corehearts. We, uh, I worked in a lab, and we melted, literally melted rock. We took big, and ours was a tiny furnace compared to the big one out in the plant. But we had inch-and-a-half diameter graphite rods, and we would put, um, uh, I don't know, 1,000 amps through those things of electricity. I mean, it'd, fry, it'd kill you in a heartbeat. Well, depending on how we were, the tests we were running for the engineers, because I was a technician, um, you had to go in and set the transformer. You had big dials on the transformer, and they said, we want it this way, and you had to walk in there. And when you walked in there, the, electric, the, it didn't come, the electricity didn't come in in wires. It came in in um, six-inch wide, quarter-inch, quarter to a half-inch, maybe three-eighths-inch thick, solid copper bus bars. And they're, they're open because you can't put enough rubber to insulate those things. And I saw one of our mechanics, he, the back of his, his triceps, he brushed up against one one time, two of them. And it arced across his arm and he had a big hole in his arm. It cooked his muscle just that, that fast. And you walk in there, you can feel that your hair sort of, this is back when I had hair, um, you hair, feel your hair start to stand up from the static electricity in the room. And I'm telling you, you didn't goof around in that room. You opened that big door and you made sure all the lights were on and you were careful where you put your feet. You were careful what you touched. You walked in there with some respect because you know this thing will kill me and it'll kill me quick. Well, we ought to have that much, that kind of, not really fear of dying, but a fearful respect when we come into God's presence. But at the same time, knowing he chose to elevate me. I'm already sitting next to his throne. I mean, that's such a, a, um, an honor, such a privilege. But it does, that adoption does denote our rank. It's, it, and, and the great part is it didn't just reverse the curse of the fall. Well, it didn't reverse the curse of the fall. It didn't just reverse Adam's sin. We have... We have a better relationship, a better quality relationship with God than Adam and Eve did. Now, they walked and talked with him face to face. But we have a higher position because they were not seated with him in heavenly places. They did not have the right to step into heaven the way we do. Now, we don't physically go there, but we have that spiritual right to, to, to be part of the kingdom of God and and to come I mean we don't have to we don't have to have a mediator 
We don't have to have a, um, you know, nothing wrong with confession. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I think the, the Protestant church, um, there's, there's probably, well, I'll put it in this way. We were, Gina and I were part of a, a denominational church for a while that we took communion every Sunday. And the danger with taking communion every Sunday is it gets to be something rote. Well, a lot of churches have confessionals, and you go confess to a person. There is a problem with, with that in that you can get to the place, and I did this when I was part of the Catholic Church. Um, you get this idea, well, I can go out and sin on Saturday night as long as I go to confession on Sunday morning. Well, that's not true, but when you throw that completely out, there is value in having a face-to-face -face relationship with someone and you confessing something to them. It puts it out in the open. That's why James says, you know, we confess our sins one to another because when you shine the light on it, it loses its power. It's things we want to keep hidden that have power over us. We walk in fear that somebody will know. We'll put it out there. Let everybody know and then, you know, those that want to reject you, they're going to re they probably have rejected you already. But it's, it's, we have that elevation that even when we do foul up, God doesn't kick us off the throne because it's in Christ. Now, the motive to all that is what we just saw in, in uh, verse 6. It, the very first part of it, we, we were adopted according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. The entire motivation for God to elevate us and to adopt us and give us the standing and the rank of being his chosen children, his sons, is it reveals his glory. Now, I don't know about you, but that will clean me up more than quicker than a list of rules. When I know that my life, especially when you concentrate on what Jesus did for you and what he went through, but then when you realize my life, how I live my life, should be bringing glory to God. It should be, and people should look to me, and our, all of us, our, our, um, our goal should be like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Our life should be an example. You want to see how it is to be a Christian? Watch me. I am the model Christian. Now, you know, I don't know too many people that that works with. I mean, we're all working on it. And we're all a work in progress. But, man, we ought to be moving towards that. Because it does. Um, and I'm just, let me just run through these. Because there's, and I've got, wow, i got all kinds of scriptures here. But this is what, what, um, what he really wants to see in us. Exodus 40, verse 34 and 35. This is when Moses was at the tabernacle. It says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We ought to have the glory of the Lord on us, not necessarily that people see it, but so, well, I, I, we, we listen, I listen to a, a um, message by, um, he's an associate pastor at the church where Gina and I were when we were in Ramah. And he said before he um, um, went into the ministry, he worked as a, um, 
some kind of an engineer, software engineer, I think. But he was in an office of where there were two of them. There were two engineers, and they sat back to back. And they were in that, that office together for six months before either one of them found out that the other one was a Christian. And he said, when I look back on that, I, he said, I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed to say this man it took me six months for, my, he said, my, my behavior and, and my character, it should have been evident in the first day that I was a Christian. Why did it take him six months to figure out? The reason was, was I wasn't acting very Christian. I wasn't acting. And it wasn't that he was doing, he was, you know, what we would call sinning. He was just doing his job. But his speech, his, what he talked about, how he talked, wasn't, didn't demonstrate openly to the world, I'm a follower of Christ. When we do that, that cloud, that's the glory of God. It ought to be so on us that people know we're different. We react to life differently than they do. And then the same thing in Second Chronicles when Solomon um, was dedicating the temple when you know we were they were finished the jews were finished with the tabernacle in second um, chronicles 7 1 and 2 it says when solomon had finished praying fire came down from heaven well now that's you know we we're, we talk about giving a sacrifice of praise or giving sacrificially of our money but it's something else when you know you go to put a a, a check in the offering plate and fire comes out of heaven and god says i accept that he takes it that would get my attention, you know. I mean, Solomon, um, God himself took that burnt offering. A priest didn't have to put coals on that thing. Fire from heaven came down and took it. And then the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, I've heard stories. I've heard, you know, from some of the old-time ministers. I used to hear Brother Hagin talk about they would have meetings and he'd see the glory cloud roll in. And people would just fall out in the spirit and people would get healed and delivered. And they didn't have to do anything. Nobody had to pray for them. It's just the glory of God came in and met needs. I, I want to see that. I want to see us be so filled with the spirit and so reflective of his glory because that is our purpose. It, we, we've been adopted so that it could be to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's all by grace. And in Psalm 71, 8 says, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory. One of the primary ways we display God's glory is how we talk. Do we, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I express it coming in here. I've been, I mean, I, I, we started at church Sunday, Friday night. We had three sermons Saturday morning, two Saturday night two Sunday morning and then finished with a single ser sermon Sunday night. And I'm telling you, I was like a hog in the walla. I was just having a ball. But I came out of that, you know, I was ready to jump over a wall and run through a troop or run through a wall and jump over a troop, whichever ways it goes. And I walked back in, I get, fat, get faced with business and irritations, and it's like, I was on the mountaintop on Sunday night. I'm convinced it's not long. We, we don't have a lot of time on this earth. 
Uh, I mean, I just look and, and I, not to get off on politics, but I look at all the things that are going on in politics. I thought, you know, once the election got over, things would maybe calm down a little bit. It's like, you know, the election poured all this gas and the second the election was over, people started throwing matches and it's erupted. It's worse than ever. And I, I, Gina and I talked about this the other day in the hotel. I said, I, I'm, I'm not fearful about it, but I am concerned that things keep going the way they are. The, you know, the, the people that are opposed to President Trump, they're going to end up picking up weapons and we're going to have an armed revolution against our government. And, and it's, you know, let alone what's going to happen in Israel if, if you know, he gets as strong towards Israel and supports them and Israel decides to say, hey, we're not taking this anymore. And, I mean, but all of that doesn't scare me because I also know that all of that is birth pangs to bring in the kingdom of God. And it's got to get worse before we're out of here. And so part of me, I'm not looking forward to it the same way, you know, you know when a woman, you get to that very last stages of pregnancy, it's like, you know, I, don't, I didn't like being a husband because it was all my fault. When you have the pregnancy test, and you, oh, we're having a baby. Oh, I love you, honey. It's so great. Everything is just sunshine and roses. And about that last two weeks, oh, my Lord, she can't go, you know, she has to go to the bathroom every two minutes. And every time that baby kicks, it hurts. And, you know, especially when they find those tender spots. And it's all your fault. And, I mean, it's just you stay, you don't get within arm reach. Well, we're getting to that last two weeks of the pregnancy where it's uncomfortable and it's hard. But in the midst of that, we have to let our mouths, and it's hard to do. When you get frustrated, mm, it's hard to do. But we have to let our mouths reflect the glory of God. Psalm 72, 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. I mean, I'm, I, I, I read about the, you know, after the, the Battle of Armageddon, when Jesus literally comes down and touches the, the, the mountain the, there in Jerusalem and takes up residence in that temple. The glory of God is literally what, what uh, Solomon had in that temple. That's going to be, oh, that's going to cover the entire earth. And I, I'm, it's like, well, I heard uh, Pastor Bob, my pastor from, from uh, Tulsa, he said, you know, he said, I think the United States is probably the greatest country that's ever existed on the planet. We have more freedom. We have more prosperity. We have done more to promote the gospel around the world than any nation that's ever existed. And one second into the millennial reign, we're going to look around and say, wow, ain't this something? <laughs> what we had, we thought that there was good, but it had nothing compared to this. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And then also Isaiah saw that, you know, the Isaiah 6.1. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his, the train of his robe filled the temple. Well, we are that train of his robe. We are that family spreading out from God, and we ought to be filling the temple. And then uh, the, the last little thing, and, and we're going to make this short. In the last part of verse 6, he says, 
uh, well, verse 6, he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And I, this is something that Martin Lloyd, Martin Lloyd Jones uh, pointed out. And it, to be honest with you, as I'm reading through these commentaries, it's, I look at them and, of course, I know we've all had this experience where you, you, hadn't, you didn't understand something, you didn't understand something, and then somebody points something out and you look at it and you think, well, duh, how could I have never seen that before? That is so obvious. But he pointed this out because that last phrase, we're accepted in the beloved. If you look at it in verse 1 of chapter Ephesians 1, he says, notice the number of times that, that Paul mentions Jesus. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's one. To the saints who are in Ephesus faithful in Christ Jesus. Twice in the first verse. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A third time now in verse 2. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's four. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Five times in three verses. And then we're only in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, that's the sixth one, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, seven times, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, there's the eighth one, to himself, there's nine, according to the good pleasure of his will. But then you get in verse 6, nine times in five verses he's mentioned Jesus or in him. But in verse 6 it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. He switched terms here. And it's interesting, I, I went back and, and um, looked that up. That is the uh, Greek word uh, in all of these references. And I've got... And this is not exhaustive, <laughs> but I got um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. I've got 19 references, and that's not even, that's maybe a third of the times that from Matthew through Revelation where it mentions this term, the beloved, and almost all of them but two it's the Greek word agapitos, which is a derivative of agapeo, which is the, the term for love, or King James would, um, would translate it charity. But it's the God kind of love. It's the kind of love that, that is, um, um, doesn't, it's, it's, well, phileo is, a, is where we get the, the brotherly love from. Phileo it's because I get something from you that I can love you back. It's a, it's a reciprocal love. Agape and agapeo is, a, is the God kind of love because it just gives. It gives whether you, it's, it's, there's no requirements for this love. But notice, notice this. These first three are from Matthew. This is using this term, agapitas, in terms of Jesus. And the first one is the Father, when Jesus was baptized, Matthew 3, 17, says, Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I well pleased. Matthew 12, 18, 
He quotes Isaiah 42.1, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved. He, this is a term he's using for, for Jesus. Matthew 17.5, this is during the, 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 um, the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. But then in, in Romans, Paul uses this, to all who are in Rome, this is Romans 1-7, beloved of God. He takes that same term that the Father used three times in Matthew, and in a lot other places in the other Gospels, I just didn't We'd been here for a week trying to quote all of them. But he's taken this same term and now applied it to us. We are beloved of God. 1 Corinthians 4.14. I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Same term. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.17. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Same term. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He's using this term that God uses. And in, in fact, of the matter is in, in Ephesians 1, 6, it's talking about, and, and I could see in that one, that could be a reference uh, and this is how Martin Lloyd-Jones sees it. He sees that as a reference to Jesus. But I'm, th I'm looking at it, the more I look at it, um, I'm not sure which way it goes. I think it could go either way. That that beloved, that we're accepted in the beloved, we're accepted in Christ, but we're also accepted in the family of God as the church, as a group of believers. Philippians 2.12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. It's a title that he, then all of these are Paul. Well, Matthew was not, but from Romans, Corinthians, Philippians, um, he uses it. To the church at Thessalonica, this is where he uses a different term. Uh, it still says beloved brethren in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, but it's the term agapeo rather than agapitos. But then James uses the same title, James 1.6, do not be, see, be deceived, my beloved brethren. James 1.19, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I mean, that's Matthew, Paul, James. Peter, in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, talking to Christians. Uh, and then the, 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 um, the Apostle John in 1 John 3.2, Beloved, now we are children of God. And then the final one is in the book of Jude, uh, verse 20. It says, You, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So that's, a, that's Matthew describes it and uses the term talking about Jesus. Paul, um, James, Peter, John, and Jude all use the same term, same word to describe Christians. That whole point is 
We have been adopted. We've been we've partakers of the divine nature for a reason, so that God gets God's grace gets glory, and to prove that we are accepted in Christ and with one another. That's why I, I love the one. Um, oh, I lost it now. I think it was in Philippians. No, yeah, it was Philippians, two twelve. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, basically, you need to, part of working out our salvation is not figuring out how to get saved. It's taking that salvation that's in us and working it amongst the body of Christ. Walking in love with one another. Walking in acceptance of one another. Uh, You know, I heard somebody... I think this was on a CD coming home saying, you know, it should be in the church that people can express their faults without getting attacked. Um, Pastor Bob said he had, and I do know this at at, at Matt and Tiff's church, um, they have a a program called Shift, and it deals with... um, the down and outers, drug addicts, those that have been in prison, those that are alcoholics, those that are into sexual sins. And the pastor, the associate pastor that's over that is um, a former homo, former lesbian. And she came and got saved. And she ministers to gay people and lesbians. And they are accepted in that church. Pastor Bob, the, the church we came out of in Tulsa, their head of counseling was a former homosexual. And they, he was, because he came out of that lifestyle, homosexuals would come to him. And they felt free to come to that church and say, look, I don't want to live this way. This, my life is miserable, but I don't know how to get out of it. Well, they didn't, nobody shook their finger. Nobody, you know, uh, I heard the, somebody tell the joke. The guy, it was kind of a formal church. They had high church and a guy came to church, sat down on the front row. He had blue jeans and cowboy boots and a cowboy shirt and a hat. And, um, you know, the first Sunday, one of the deacons passed the pastor a note and said, you know, uh, we need to have this. We want visitors. We want new members. But you need to talk to this guy about how he's dressed. And so the pastor came down and welcomed him and um, said, you know, we, we really hope you come back. He said, but, you know, before you leave today, you ought to look around and see how everybody is dressed and so that you might feel not feel uncomfortable. And the guy said, OK, came back the next Sunday, sat down in the same spot, had his blue jeans, cowboy boots, cowboy shirt, cowboy hat. And um, Deacon came up and got a little more pointed with the pastor. The pastor went down and talked to him. He said, um, you know, I just, I don't want you to be uncomfortable. He said, but, you know, you just really don't fit in too well with the rest of the people dressed this way. And he said, okay, you're welcome back anytime, though. Came back the third week. Guy was still dressed, blue jeans. Two elders went to the pastor this time. So the pastor went to him. He said, look, I've tried to be really nice about this, but I'm telling you, if you want to come back next time, you're, you need to talk to God about how you're dressing in his house. And you, you just really need to get before God about this. And the guy said, okay, I will. Next Sunday, he came back, fourth Sunday in a row. 
And he was in his blue jeans, cowboy boots, and the pastor came down to him after the church service. He said, I thought you were going to go before God. He said, I did, and God responded very quickly. He said, I don't know how they dress. He said, I haven't been in that church for years. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. we, we, you know, we, we get so caught up in this stupid stuff. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of a silly illustration. But I've seen people come in and, well, they just don't, um, you know, I heard somebody say about this church several years ago, somebody was here that had had problems, marital problems, and had an affair. And, um, and, and suddenly, you know, they left after four, five, six months. And I heard someone say, well, now we can, you know, God will be able to start blessing us because now, you know, before there was sin in the camp. And I'm thinking, what happened to restoration and acceptance? Now, you don't accept their sin. And you don't bless their sin, but you do restore them. And restoration means we accept you just like Jesus accepted you. You're cleansed from unrighteousness. It's as if you never sinned. But... He accepts us. Yes, yeah. And when you come down to it... Boy, when you get a revelation of the things that he's forgiven me for, I got, you know, when Jesus said about the woman, you know, caught in adultery, you without, first, without sin cast the first stone. Well, I don't know anybody that's qualified to pick up a rock and chuck it other than Jesus. And he said, woman, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. He didn't accept your sin, but he didn't condemn her either. But he did get after the people who wanted to put a heavy weight on her. But we ought to be expressing the glory of God through our lifestyles. And, and it's, you know, I, I, I have to visit 1 John 1, 9 often. <laughs> but it's um, still, that's part of it. That's learning to, to you know, 1 John is not, a, um, it's not an excuse to sin and it's not an escape clause to get out from the penalty of sin. But it is a way to get out from under the guilt of sin and get back into fellowship with God so that you can start serving him after you've done something. And to be honest with you, the farther I go, it doesn't take very much to get me back. You know, years ago, I would have had to get drunk, puke, get in a fight. I'd have to have something really bad to make me think I need to go confess this. Now, it only takes one little slip of the tongue. I was like, oh, Lord. And, and I see that, basically, that's, that's part of growing up. It doesn't take much for me to know, you can't do that. You've got to get back on track. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can, yes, you can, you can wound quicker and deeper um, with your tongue than, and if you, and the better you know somebody, ain't nobody push my buttons like my wife. She knows where every one of them is. Now, thank God she, you know, she didn't go after them, but if she wanted to, she could, she, she knows, and I know, and I know the same way with her. If I want to hurt, and it's one of the problems, one of the reasons that couples that have been married a long time do have problems, because sometimes if you're not taming that tongue, when you get in a spat, a lot of people, you go for the jugular, and...
relationships don't last long, let alone, and I've said this for years, if I've committed to spend the rest of my life with my wife and I truly love my wife, knowing as much work as we have to put into it to keep that relationship right, my Lord, what chance do I have with a casual relationship with somebody that I don't care if I don't see them next week? I mean, it's any wonder that, that people just don't, you know, and, and, and here in America, you've got, a, you've got a church on every corner, so, you know, if somebody makes you a little mad, you're just gone. Well, shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way, shouldn't be that easily offended. But we also, it ought to be easier to get along with brothers and sisters in Christ than it is. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.